Monday morning broadcast on this era of Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan. That's right. Rosh Chodesh begins tonight. Rabbi Yaakov Nagen is in our studio. Rabbi Yaakov Nagen is the uh, author of the book, Be, Become, Bless, Jewish Spirituality Between East and West. Rabbi Yaakov Nagen is originally from New York City and resides in Israel. He has a PhD in Jewish philosophy from Hebrew University, senior educator at the Otniel Yeshiva, where he teaches Talmud and Kabbalah. He's a leading figure in interfaith dialogue between Judaism and Islam and encounters between Judaism and Eastern religions. Many of his writings have been translated into Chinese, and he has lectured in Beijing and Shanghai. Rabbi Nagin was profiled in Tablet Magazine as one of the ten, quote, Israeli rabbis you should know. Rabbi Yaakov Nagin, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. Nice to see you, sir. So how are you related to the Ganak family? Explain this to me. Well, Nagin is actually Ganak. When I made Aliyah, um, Israelis couldn't say Ganak. They say Gang Gunk. Once we went to a hotel and they couldn't find a reservation, but since the Tank family didn't come, they found a place for us. <laughs> so we changed one letter. Uh, in, he- in Hebrew, it's a change of one letter. And from Ganak, we became Nagen, which means to play music. So it was a practical change, not a trans- translation change. Well, practice is what we told the family, we, but we're happy with the new spiritual meeting of music. That I am sure. Um, so any- anyway, a lot of people in this audience know members of the Ganak family, so it's nice to have another member of that family here in our studio. And I welcome you. How long have you been living in Israel? Um, for close to 30 years and in Otniel for 22 years. So you were in Otniel during one of the worst nights in Otniel's history, I would assume. That was um, the Friday night the uh, Friday night terrorist, terrorist attack, attack, which is really were one you, of... Were you in the yeshiva? Um, I was supposed to have been at the meal, actually, because um, a lot of the students came from... were, were visiting from Yeshiva at Haritzion, where I studied. Right. But at a last-minute decision, we went away for Shabbat and... In the morning, we had already heard about it, and going through that Shabbat, not knowing the names of the victims, um, but that was really one of the formative events in my life, and one of my major teachings really comes from that event. Because, explain what you mean. Um, well, this, on a Friday night, terrorists entered the kitchen. Four of our students were in the kitchen, were all were murdered. Right. And one of the shocking aspects of that terrorist attack, that at the time the shooting began, the other students in the dining room were dancing and singing of all things the pasuk hodu lashem kitov thank god for the good and and how to connect those that, that. and one day i saw there's a distinction um, of the mea shiloach that there are two things in life there the life is how easy your life is and how good how much good there is in your life and that really helped me make sense of that event because there are so many decisions made during that event of people choosing to do what was good and not what was easy. In fact, what was a very famous story in Israel at the time, um, when the shooting began, the doors between the kitchen and the dining room were closed. Right. Um, the terrorists didn't find a way to break through the doors. And what we think happened is that the students in the kitchen chose to lock the doors to stop the terrorists from coming in and save their friends. Right. That was well known. That was something spoken about for years, that whole, uh, that, that, not just that episode, but that specific act that you just referred to. Right. How long ago was the Atniel? Uh, that was about 17 years ago. It's already 17 years? Yes, but what's incredible, wow. uh, this Shabbat, I was the Scotland residence at Lincoln Square Synagogue, right. and I heard a part of the story which I never knew. One of the, one of the one of the people in the, in the kila came and said that his son was then studying in yeshiva Taratzion 
was in the dining room when the shooting began. And the son ran out, but the son noticed that a friend of his was still in the dining room. And he went back, his son, his, his friend was, was shot in the leg, and his friend who was six foot three, he carried him on his back, took him out, and the father very chokingly told me that his son chose to, to name his son, the grandson, Noam after, Noam after one of the four boys who was killed. So he was visiting from Haritzion that Shabbat, you're saying? Yes. Wow. In fact, a lot of the book has to do with that because um, Noam Apter, before he was killed, he established what he called the Center for Jewish Consciousness. He believed we can't wait for the Jewish people to come to the Beit Midrash. We have to bring the Beit Midrash to the Jewish people. So he would put out flyers by the thousands about Jewish topics and ask all the other students, when you go in for Shabbat, give them out on the buses, on the trains. And he would send me to all sorts of missions of Shirim. And after he was killed, I said, who's going to push me now? So I decided that when I'm invited, no matter how crazy, I'm going to go. And one year I was invited to a festival called the Bumba Mela. This is a, it's like, kind of like an Israeli Woodstock, that on Pesach, instead of spending time with your family, you go to the beach and tens of thousands of Israelis would go there on a holiday f- pattern after the Kumba Mela, a Hindu holiday. So when I was asked to do Kirv work there, um, that led to one of my encounters with Eastern spirituality, which from which my book evolved. Rabbi Yaakov Nagen is here. The book is called Be, Become, Bless. I assume that's the reason you wrote the book, because of these encounters you've had with different spiritual course, elements. Yes. Um, is the, and I, I asked, and by the way, we should point out that the book is done in the series of Parshiot, which is another reason why it's perfect for this time of year. People are, we just started Parshas Bracious, and you go through Bracious till the end of the Torah, you know, with different articles about each Parsha. Um, there, are, there are some people listening who no doubt have already rolled their eyes mm-hmm. that someone might suggest that Jewish spirituality has any colleague in Eastern spirituality or any other spiritual <clears throat> element that's discussed on this globe. How do you react to that? Okay. okay. Well, first of all, since we read in, in Breshit that all of humanity is created with Selim Elohim in the image of God, the fact that there could be, I'm, I'm very happy, I feel it's part of the greatness of, of Hashem that there are good things that can be found anywhere, anywhere. And another important point is I feel the most powerful response to many of our Jewish brothers and sisters who are drawn away, and I could tell some stories about this, is not to negate what attracts them, but try to understand what is attracting them in other traditions. And, and so often, the thing, there are things that are authentically part of our story that they could find at home. And they don't realize that it's part of our story? I'll tell you an incredible story. When yes. I was in India... On one Friday afternoon, I went to visit Haridwar, a, a, a city sacred to Hinduism. And there's a major ashram, which is like a Hindu base medrash. And the head of the ashram, called Vijayananda, was originally Avram Yaakov Weintrip, the son of a rabbi from France. He was 92 when I visited him. And when I came into his room to visit him, I saw on his shelf he had a copy of the Tanya, the Sfat Emet, and a book, Ariel Sharon, Warrior. And in fact, his, this was his story. He grew up, he lost his, his faith growing up in France, um, and he was attracted to Eastern spirituality. He went there, he became the headless major ashram. And, but in time, he found that those teachings that attracted him, feeling about the unity, unity 
of life, the presence of the divine throughout life, are in fact in Hasidut and Kabbalah. And when I left the ashram, I said, I said, Vichinandi, I have a wife and kids. I, he was there for 55 years when I saw him. I don't have 55 years. What have you learned here? And he said, I've learned there's more than one way to get to the top of the mountain, but you have to stick to one way based on your tradition. And I thought, when he said that, is he trying to, based on your tradition, to tell me something about his regret about the path not taken? So I went back a second time. And when I came back, he said, when you make it to the Kosel, be mitpalel for me, pray for me. And four years later, he died. And when he died, he asked the ashram not to cremate him or put his body in the Ganges River, according to Hindu tradition, but to bury him in the ground. So they sent the body back to France, where he hadn't been for 60 years, and his family came and said Kaddish on his kever. So how do you explain this? How do you explain somebody who, it seems from all indications, mm -hmm. understands that they're not on the right path, right, but um, can't make that move back to the right path? So I, so I think it's, it's a little bit more complex. He saw, he was proud of his Jewish identity, and he saw that what was so significant for his understanding of life, he, he discovered it in Eastern spirituality. Later he decided it was also in Judaism. I don't know why he didn't make the way back, but I believe had he been exposed to this part of Judaism younger, earlier, he may have stayed Avram Yaakov Weintrip and not have become Vijayananda. Rabbi Yaakov Nagen is here. The book is called Be Become Blessed, Jewish Spirituality Between East and West. It is a uh, Yeshivat Otniel Magid Books publication. Um, the other religions that you have brought up already in this conversation and, and, and others and, and others and, and other ones uh, that you've explored, uh, do any of them have as much ritual as Judaism does? I always wonder... If those who are spiritually inclined mm -hmm. resent the amount of ritual that we have in our tradition and it's easier for mm -hmm. them to drift into the frame of mind they're looking for if they go to a different religion. Yeah. So I, that's a very important point, and that's the major thesis of my book, that Judaism is not the same as uh, Eastern spirituality. I feel what they, um, they say the great divide in life between Eastern spirituality and Western civilization is what's the big question? Is it what to do or what to be? Mm. What to do is about changing the world, fixing the world. Where being is about not changing, but how do I accept life as it is? Am I focused on the future or on the present? So I see within Judaism, we have an integration of the doing and the being. Halakha, mitzvahs, rituals, and all the, all the good deeds that we're supposed to be doing, this is about doing. Whereas, but so much of, of Yadut, whether it's Shabbat, that we try to be really present in the day, it's about being. We need that inter, in, integration. The world needs that integration. If you just have one, if you just have doing without being, or being without doing, you'll be so incomplete. In fact, the syllable that in the East represents the unity of existence is the Om. In, we have shalom. Mm. Shalom includes the om, but it's not just the om. So why don't they feel incomplete? What? Why don't they feel incomplete? I feel in many ways that... that they don't realize part, part of that struggle is about that. I was, my book was translated into Chinese. Why? Um, because there are many Chinese that, with all of China rushing ahead, they feel there's something missing in, in, their, in their lives. So I was invited to a lecture tour after my book was translated into Chinese throughout China. Uh, 
and thinking about what to tell the Chinese. I'm on this train. It's going 350 kilometers an hour between Beijing and Shanghai. And I think about this, remember this story about the Old West, about this old train, and somebody pulls the cord, the train stops, no one knows who did it, and you see this old guy gets off the train, and they say, what are you doing? He said, my body's going ahead so fast, but my soul, it can't keep up. So I'm suffering from soul lag. So, <laughs> and the, my host gave me a gift, two teacups, one red to represent China, Red is the, work, the flag of the workers. The other blue to represent Israel. Blue is our, our flag, which is, parallels the tchelet of the tzitzit, which right. is the color of the sea. Um, so I feel everybody's missing something, and I feel Israel is located between east and west, and our message to the world is we have to integrate the doing and the being. Uh, what about here in, in, in the real west, you know, all, all the way in North America? Um, it, you claim, and I think that this is a claim that many have made, that people are searching for spirituality. How come it doesn't seem to me that mm-hmm. my neighbors, my non-Jewish neighbors, <clears throat> are searching for spirituality? Um, maybe move, move to another neighborhood. <laughs> no, but I'm wondering, <laughs> right. you know, I always hear this, that everyone's searching for spirituality. I think the average college student in New York City is, is fine without spirituality right. and fine with what, they, you know, what they've discovered and how they live their life. So, um, first of all, I think a lot of people haven't been exposed to, to what is spirituality. I think a lot, of, a lot of Americans go to Israel for a year, and I think in Israel, much more pronounced than in America, the connection to Hashem is much more based on simcha, joy, ava, and love, much more than, than, than certainly the way that I grew up in America. Um, I remember, I think, Rav Shlomo Kalbach's first organization, organizations they established was called Taste and See That God is Good, feeling that people weren't even exposed to it. They weren't even aware of different dimensions of, of life and possibilities um, that exist. I remember hearing a great point by Micha Goodman, the, the Israeli philosopher. He said the rela- relationship between religion and spirituality is like the relationship between marriage and love. If you have religion without spirituality, it's like you have marriage, but you don't have the love. If you have spirituality without religion, you have the love, but you don't have the marriage. And as Jews, we want to have both marriage and love. And you do think that a good number of people in American society are searching for that, are, are looking for something deeper and higher. I'm less in tune with American society, but I would know that the entire Chazara B'tshuva movement of, of trying to bring our ch- children back to Judaism in Israel, right. whether Chabad, whether Breslev, whether even the... Sionut, religious Zionism, so much is focused on Jewish spiritual teachings, whether Hasidut, whether Kabbalah, or just looking at the Torah and even Halakha with new eyes. What do you think of the practice of going to Uman for Rosh Hashanah? Um, well, personally, I feel, for me personally, being at Rav Kook's Kever on Harazetim, would be, which I've been to, is much more meaningful. But I haven't been there, but I would see it as, for me, the importance would be not the kever of Nachman, despite my great love and connection to Rav Nachman, but to be with tens of thousands of Jews together, praying together, that's something that really tempts me, although I haven't given in to that temptation so yet. So there is a spiritual uplifting element to being with thousands of people who are experiencing some type of, experiencing some type of spirituality. I think so. I'll even, I'll even confess, uh, I'm, I'm among those 
Jews who believe that if you go to a mikvah, you're allowed to go up on the Temple Mount on Harabayit. Right. And when you're on the, the Harabayit... The halachically approved places. Halachically approved places, of course, according to a certain route. But for me, I, you know, so for me, the Kotel's main importance is not the, clo- not the closest of the site, because I feel the Temple Mount, that's is the place the to site, be. Sure. But seeing so many Jews there together and praying, that's what makes it special. Or as Rav Amital used to say, he doesn't know if... Rachel is buried in Kever Rachel. Right. But the tears of Jewish, mo- so many Jewish mothers makes that place holy. So I think Uman in that way could be a holy place. Great perspective. Uh, be become blessed. Jewish spirituality between East and West. Rabbi Yaakov Nagen is here. Okay, uh, I, I, we can't go through every parsha, but I did look at what you wrote about Bracious uh, and the, um, uh, the existence of man. Um, but tell us something about Noah. Noah is now the parsha that we read Great. this morning. Noah okay. is the parsha that's coming up this week. Tell, me, tell us something about we should know about Noah. Okay, so um, Noah, we 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 all grew up on the story of the Tower of Babel, and and why what, what was the motivation to build it? So many of us know this Rashi that this was a attempt to storm the heavens. That right. we were over ambitious, but. I prefer the Rashbam's approach, which I think is more in the Pshat, that it was actually the opposite. It's we were underachievers. God said when he created the world, spread out, fill up the world. But they build they build the tower that lest we spread out. We um Hashem wants us big. Hashem wants us to spread out through the world. He wants the richness of a world with many languages and cultures. And it's we who wanted to keep things small. So I think I write there about my response to John Lennon about imagine no countries, no nations, and the Tower of Babel saying that people really didn't want to be separate. But Hashem says, even though it leads to problems, a big, rich world that will show the glory of Hashem is a world with the richness and variety of many, many different types of people. And I'm glad you mentioned John Lennon because one can be a Rebbe in Otniel and still quote film and and uh, secular music composers, and uh, and Mark Twain, and others that you quote in your book, right? Um, yeah, and again, it gets back to what, what I feel is I think the greatness of a Kadosh Baruch Hu is that sparks of life, light, and inspiration are not are not are yeah. not only in the Jewish people, but to find them everywhere. It makes Hashem greater and not less. If I see good in other people, in other culture, there are a lot of negative things to. To, that we have to cut ourselves off from. But when there are good things, let us acknowledge it, appreciate it, and learn from it. Why do you think, um, uh, I mean, whether it's the time of Avraham Avinu, where he ends up being in the minority, or a time like today where it's so hard to convince people, as you mentioned the Chuva movement. The reality is, as many people as are coming back, we know how many we're losing, unfortunately, at the same time. And one number sadly outnumbers the other one. Um, wh- why is it? such a struggle to convince people or to uh, mm-hmm. uh, have uh, get people to appreciate the beauty of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Okay. Well, well, part of the challenge is the challenge of religion in general. And I think it goes back to that insight that for me is one of the f- formative insights in life. Life is not choosing between good and evil. People I know are, are generally decent people. The real challenge in life is choosing between the path which is good and the path which is easy. And it's challenging to live a committed religious life of Torah and mitzvot. It's, 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 it's challenging. 
And I think part of our culture encourages people to take the easy path and not the good path. So even Avram Avinu, when he was trying to spread a message, before ritual was a... Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, one, one of his difficulties was convincing people that this was a, a worthwhile pursuit because there, it, it, there, was always, there was always a burden to it. There was always a difficulty to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would say that even without ritual involved, just just reprogramming oneself to think a certain way is difficult, right? Right, right. But but ultimately, you know, Israel they always publish. They have these surveys about happiness of life surveys. Right. So I think it's harder to live a deeply religious, committed life. But all these surveys that like once a year they publish them on the, and Israel is one of the happiest countries in the world, despite a lot of the challenges we have. And we know even in different cultures, religion, people who live a religious life find more meaning, even though it's more difficult to to be committed. I um, I want to apologize to our next guest because I know we're going to drop over, but knowing him, he's going to be very understanding. I have to ask you, you mentioned Rav Cook earlier in, in the context of, uh, of visiting. Um, what would Rav Cook say if he heard a national radio broadcast of the state of Israel, like we heard last week, begin with the words Moadim Lusimcha. How would he react to the fact, a lot of people just, you know, it doesn't affect them. I, when I hear it, when I'm tuned into Israeli radio, and I hear the newscast start mm-hmm. with Moadim Lusimcha or Chag Sameach or Tzom Kal or whatever reference to mm-hmm. Yom Yom, to me it is so historically significant. How do you think Rav right. Kook would have reacted to that? Yeah. I think that's a wonderful point, and I feel one of the privileges of making Aliyah, or even that perspective, in Israel people sometimes are a little bit nearsighted. And when, when you step back a step and you become farsighted, you can appreciate so many things that are taken for granted. For me, the favorite part of the radio is at 6 a.m., the national radio begins with saying Shema Yisrael. That's incredible. There's, there's so much fighting about these little things, but say... I feel, have gratitude for the time that we live in. There's so many, but I feel as often people who grow up there, they don't know the blessings of their life, their blessings of their Jewish life, the blessings of that we have a Jewish state, one of, that we're living one of the great epics uh, of, of Jewish, of human history. And there's, there's a rabbi um, who once said, says, like we read the, the book's stories in Bamidbar, I quote this in my book, that in the desert, how the Jews are complaining about the food, and they're saying, what? You just left Egypt. This is the most, the greatest epic in Jewish history, and this is what you're talking about? I look now at Israeli society. We are, after thousands of years, we're living in the greatest times of Jewish, of human history, and these are the issues you talk about? So we need to be farsighted and not just nearsighted. Uh, Yaakov Nagan, the book is called Be Become Bless. It's uh, from Magid Books. Please send our regards to everybody in Otniel. Thank you. And Thank you, the, the book is really wonderful. And as I said, it goes according to the parashiot of the Torah. So everybody now you have an opportunity to add to your library a book that will go from Bracious to Vizos Abracha and do so in a really spiritual and comprehensive way. Yaakov Nagan is the author of the book Be Become Blessed, Jewish Spirituality Between East and West. Again, it's Magid Books. You can go to the Magid Books website and uh, certainly order it from any of the uh, sources online. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.